Welcome to another episode of The Magic Circuit. I'm Ben. And I'm Mia. And so last time uh, we did a 15th anniversary episode for <laughs> the release of Fate Stay Night. But I somehow in my head apparently conflated the anniversary dates for Fate Stay Night and Boston Molasses Flood. And <laughs> <laughs> Which we discussed at length uh, last video. Yes. Uh, and Mia was... Um, a fool and trusted me to actually get something right for once. Yep, I did. So I do trust you, but it was clearly a mistake. So now we're going to just parlay our mistake into uh, more content and do part two of that uh, series, Ooh. where last time we talked about Fate Stay Night itself, this time we're going to talk about how the franchise has changed since those days, and what it means now for an entry in the Fate series to be a Fate story. Like, what are the story and plot elements that are expected of something to be Fate, and how much does that still resemble the origins of the franchise? Right, so, since it's definitely changed a lot over the years. Yes, very much so. So let's start out with uh, just the second piece of Fate media to be released, which was, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, uh, Hollow Ataraxia. Uh, I think other than, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's right, that's right. Um, so unless, Ataraxia, unless, it, unless like, Tiger Coliseum came out first, but I don't think that's true. I, I don't know anything no, about Tiger no, also, Coliseum. Also, I don't really know anything about, yeah. I, I know it's... Tiger a, Coliseum is not really a, a real thing. Uh, yeah, that came out in 2007, and I think Hollow Ataraxia is 2005? Was 2005 or six. My brain says 2005. Yes, it's 2005. So I'm just going to brush over this one quickly, because basically what it is is just a direct sequel to uh, Fate Stay Night. Kind of, it does the time loopy thing to talk about, like, just as an excuse to bring back all of the characters who should be dead so that they can have more content with the same stuff. Except for Kotomine, um, who stays dead, and instead gets reborn in the form of karen hortensia who is just the same character but uh his daughter his daughter yeah just a just a mouthpiece for she's just i've I've actually talked to some friends about this like karen is definitely just like kira you can fuck like that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely just who she is um which i don't know hollow ataraxia like i don't know it's it also started the and this was actually something I was thinking about. It also started the, like, slice of life, like, goofy uh, side of fate. Well, that's true. That's a good point. Um, which I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that, because I know we talked about that a little bit um, last episode, right? right. Um, about, like, how, you know, like, what makes series, or what makes the fate series, like, a series that lends itself well to this kind of thing. Um and I, I did realize so those that those kinds like, of like comedic spin-offs, you mean? Right, right. And I think it's yeah. kind of just like Hollow Ataraxia, for whatever reason, just allowed for that to happen. Um I don't know. But it is it that like this is where that uh side of the franchise starts. Right. And I guess now that I think about it as well, Hollow Ataraxia uh was the beginning of something that 
didn't become super dominant immediately, but definitely is now, which was moving the series away from the concept of the Holy Grail War. Yes. Um, because I believe I have not actually read Hollow Ataxia, but I know you have. That there, you should read it. There, it's really good. I really did. I really should. Um, it's so good. But that Hollow Ataraxia doesn't have any sort of Grail War conflict in it. It's just like the aftermath of Angermanu being left behind after the Fifth War and Stay Night, right? Um, yes and no. Uh, it like, it's a little confusing because there's not really like a Grail War. It's like the... It's like they didn't totally resolve all of the Angermanu stuff. So there's kind of like a fake Grail War battle happening. Because um, there is like sort of the, the culmination of like the the plot part of Hollow Ataraxia and not just the like funny uh, slice of life memes part is in this like big battle where it's all of those like shadow dogs that make up Angermanu. Um, mm-hmm. Or like that are... What is it? Yeah, I think he calls them like shadows of himself. Um, there is like this big battle where it's like all the servants get together and they like destroy a bajillion of these things because they're like they just like flood the streets of Fuyuki. Um, it's very fun. Also, just slight side note: I'm getting over a cold, so sorry if I sound a little congested. I meant to say this at the beginning, but I forgot. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, there are like inter-servant conflicts, but uh, it's not really like a Grail War thing. Like no one gets. Well, I mean, I guess I guess Bazette gets her wish because she she died. And well, then... isn't there the thing where like Bazette never got to see the Grail War happen, so Angermanu is trying to like grant her the ability to experience a Grail War, but the only one he knows is the third. So, like the third, the events of the third war kind of loop, like with the characters of the fifth. Yes. Um. Yes, it's complicated. It's like during those sections of the plot, like Angermanu is orchestrating like a fake Grail War using the characters in the Fifth Grail War that resembles the Third Grail War, which is why like Rin and Sakura are like the dual saber masters, where one of them has like normal archery and the other one has um archery altar. Right. Um But mimicking the Edelfeld sisters from the Third Grail War. Yes, but that's like the knight plot that involves Bazette. when that's not happening there is another plot that also happens which is like shiro trying to figure out why the time like why the city is stuck in like a time loop um and like slowly piecing that together um which i sometimes those two things overlap and then oftentimes they don't it definitely is something that like when i think about it i definitely get a little confused um but no it's it's not there's no ever there's not really a grail war war because like people who played fate stay night know that like the war that bazette is fighting is like a sham um because it features all these characters in like weird situations they totally wouldn't be in Mm -hmm. um i think that's also where like rin's uh formal craft dress comes from um oh really i think so um fuck what was they weren't they weren't they weren't Edelfelts were they 
It was the Edelfeld sisters. Yeah, in the third war, it was the Edelfeld yes. sisters, yeah. Yes, or, well, maybe it's not the same dress. Okay, I thought it was. It, it, I don't think it is. I just Googled it. Got it. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I think I interrupted your whole point with this huge non sequitur. <laughs> um, I, was just, I was just thinking about how, like, early on in the franchise, um, you have Hollow Rider Axia, which is, like, a uh, immediate departure from the Holy Grail War structure that defined Fate Stay Night. Mm. Um, but then after that, you do get a string of other Fate media that are very um, structured around the existence of a Holy Grail War. You get Fate Zero, which obviously is just the Fourth Grail War, um, and is also very closely tied to the original Fate Stay Night. And then after that, you get Fate Extra, which is the first piece of fate media to not be like a direct tie-in to Fate Stay Night. Um, mm-hmm. But also at the same time, it does insert a lot of the same characters, even though, even though it doesn't really make sense for those characters to be there, just as an attempt to, I guess, to make it more recognizable to fans of the original VN. Right. Like you have the um the like um like it's it's said at uh it's, uh the school, Tsukimihara. Um yeah. or like which is basically just um Homurahara? That's the Fate Stay Night yeah, that's, yeah. school. Um but like the schools I think are functionally and like visually basically the same. Just that like Kirei works at the school. <laughs> But then it's like, oh, it's the Grail War. It's not actually school. The, do you know, like the bit, the, like simulation bit at the end, the beginning of Extra? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like, and and then so in addition to Kirei, there's like, who like looks slightly different. There's like Shinji, who's less of a dick, um, right? Who has nothing in common with Fate Stay Night Shinji except looking like him and having the same name. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, like, same with, uh... Same with Kotomine. Same with Kotomine, same with Rin, also, you know, who is the major character. And then there's, like, blonde Rin, um... Or, like, w- this is... Brown hair Rin is, like, a blonde Rin's avatar. Uh, I think. I think that's what it is. Um... Mm-hmm. Now I feel dumb for not fact-checking myself on this. Yes, that's true. Okay. Um... But yeah, it and definitely like, feels the like Saki sisters are there as like shopkeepers. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely, even though they have absolutely nothing to do with the story, they they're just there, right? It definitely feels like it. It feels like instead of writing new characters for the thing, they just stuck the same ones in. Um, just kind of like if so, if you were just someone who owned a PSP whenever Fate Extra came out. And you were like, oh, the art in this game's cover looks pretty. I'll buy it. But you hadn't seen Fate Stay Night. Then, like, you would just be like, oh, these characters. Whatever. Uh, but right. if you, you were someone who, missing like, any context. played Stay Night, Red Stay Night, whatever, watched it, um, then you'd be like, oh, yeah, and, like, this is Rin, and this is Kotomne, and this is Shinji, and, you know, etc. And that attempt to get 
like catch the recognition of people who had played Stay Night is something that I find a really bizarre choice in how they handle it. Um, because there is obviously like the infamous beginning of the Saberface Plague with Nero, uh-huh. where they and this is com- this is confirmed. Like they have explicitly said this. They designed Nero to look just like Artoria. Um, but like with a different dress on so that once the game came out, people would be surprised it was someone else. Yeah. Right. Like Like it it was basically just like a marketing thing. Yes. It was just a marketing thing. They wanted people to like see Saber and be like, Oh, I like Saber. I will buy this game. Right. And then the actual visual similarity is completely pointless aside from that. Yeah, and that never even it never even comes up in like Nero's plot. It's not like um it's not like a like a Jean thing, like the Joan of Arc uh confusion in zero. It's just like Right. She just they just look the same for no reason. And then along the same lines they keep the concept of uh a holy grail and a holy grail war. Um it's as like another element that's recognizable from Fate Stay Night, even though it keeps basically no similarities to the Holy Grail War of Fate Stay Night. Right, where every, like everything in extra is very structured. Um, it's like you have this much like prep time to like figure out like what the other team's like gimmick is. Um, right, and then like it's you fight them like on, a like... literal tournament, like it's a hundred and twenty-eight person bracket. Right, right, and then you fight them on like a specified day. And, like, whoever has more information on the other one then wins. <laughs> or, like, you're just a fucking cheater, like Gawain. <laughs> so then you have to counter-cheat and turn off the sun. I'm pretty sure that's what happens so, in Extra. <laughs> yes, there, there's a lot of cheating in Extra. Like, when you fight Nursery Rhyme, and the only way uh, to kill the Jabberwocky is with... Oh, with the, the Vorpal Blade. Vor- with the Vorpal Blade, but the Vorpal Blade doesn't exist on the moon, so Rin has to, like, hack it into existence for you. Yeah, so that you can then kill the Jabberwocky, yeah. Right. Uh, Now I want to play extra again. Uh, The combat is awful, but... Yes, the the gameplay is so bad. The gameplay is really bad. It's literally just rock, paper, scissors. It's just... It was not fun, but... I definitely, like... I I definitely remember I spent a really long time, like, memorizing all the enemy patterns. Um, (laughs) Even though I could have definitely just, like, looked up a guide. For people who haven't played it, when I say it's literally just rock, paper, scissors, I'm not saying that in the sense that, like, oh, like, there are these three things that counter each other, like, I don't know, like, weapon triangles in uh, Fire Emblem. It's it's literally rock, paper, scissors. Yes, there are you three options. Rock, paper, scissors you have attack, break, and guard. And uh, attack beats break, break beats guard, and guard beats attack. Um, and those are your three options to pick from until you unlock your, like, noble phantasms and, like, supers and stuff. Um, right. So the goal is just to play rock, paper, scissors until you win. Right. By unlocking the thing. Right. Yeah, I remember I fucking played extra on my PSP. That was, I don't know, it was fun. I liked it. I also played extra on your PSP. Oh, that's right, I loaned it to you. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. It was a good time. I don't know. I definitely... Yeah, it's fun, like... Hmm? Yeah, no, no, ex- go. Extra is, extra is interesting. Yeah. Um, like, terrible gameplay, but the story is actually pretty good despite being super bizarre yes uh i definitely really remember liking 
the um the Lishuen like arc especially where mm-hmm. like you're gonna beat Julius Harway. I haven't yes, seen Julius last encore, so I, I I'm not very fresh on the uh the extra character names. Cool. Yeah, it's Julius. Um like doesn't he go all crazy or he makes like he makes a he makes Li Shuen into a berserker? Um yes. which is like nuts. Cause Li Shuen, like you fight him and you're like, oh, this is like an honorable dude. He's like really cool, but he's totally kicking our ass. Um and then he's like, Yeah, we lost fair and square, like good match, and then Julius is like, No, we're not getting deleted. You're a berserker now. And Li Shuen's like, Julia <laughs> <laughs> And then just like fucking like goes ape on on you. Because uh, yeah. I don't I don't know what rank of mad enhancement they gave him, but he was he was on some serious mad enhancement. Julian also does that in Last Encore, except Oh he does. In except in Last Encore he uh Lee is already a berserker when you first meet him, so there's no time to actually establish him as a character. That's a shame. Yeah, they do a lot of stuff like that in Last Encore, which is a lot of why it was not very good. That's a bummer. Also, Julius Harley is a dead face. Oh, oh I don't... Did you did you ever learn what it, the deal is with dead face? I never learned what a dead face is. You told me all these like dumb buzzwords from <laughs> from, uh, from whatchamacallit. Well, just because as Encore. I was watching the new episodes come out, I just like give you the stupid shit that was happening without context right i'd be like what's happening in last encore (laughs) i did like the part of the very beginning where like twice uh twice peach twice h peaceman who sounds like a fucking one piece character um yeah like like shows up and he's like that's the incinerator where you're going (laughs) that's where we put all the bad children i don't remember what he fucking says i just remember when like uh hakuno like stumbles into the like incinerator room and like falls right, down right. and then has to like fight some goons and then like Nero shows up. Uh like twice is there and he's like, Oh, look at me being the final antagonist. Yeah. Uh the goons he fights are like grey stone namelesses. Yes. Which Nameless then like doesn't appear at all for the rest of the show. So Oh that's right, because he's he's nameless in, in the extra timeline. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um I remember after the first episode of Extra when people were like, oh, they're actually like seeding twice early in the story instead of just having him appear at the end to be the final antagonist. Yeah. Like, this is going to be a great adaptation that, like, improves the storytelling flaws of the original. Yeah, that was my thought. And then that lasted for, like, maybe one more episode. Oh. And then every- <laughs> with Mayor Shinji. Mayor oh, Shinji definitely, st- Mayor Shinji definitely still the best thing to come out of Last Encore. I need to, uh, I need to see that part of uh, Last Encore at the very least. Yeah, the, that was my favorite moment of the show by far. Is when they like open the doors to the mayor's office and you see like Shinji sitting at the desk. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was this? I'm just imagining the like record breaker craft essence, but it's in like a fucking like actual like like official statesperson office. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know that craft essence, the one that? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. Okay, okay, good. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> An extrovert Shinji is actually just like ten. <laughs> right. And a designer baby. Oh, and a designer baby. That's right. For the long time, the only designer baby in the series until Mashu became a thing. That's fucked up. <laughs> yep. Well, that's one of those Grand Order things. It's just like resurrecting the old lore that's mentioned as a thing once and then ignored for a decade. 
Shinji Mato, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why we like it. And others. It's very... Yeah, Grand Order is good. Should we move on from Extra? Yes. But anyway, you get you get a while where you have stuff like Extra and then also Apocrypha, which are structured around the concept of a Holy Grail War, like the battle royale between servants, um, like competing to claim the Holy Grail. And they like mix up the formula of what exactly the Holy Grail how exactly the Holy Grail War is fought, like how many combatants are in them, like what the structure of the combat is like, that kind of thing. But the the core narrative structure, um, like the central conceit of the installment remains more or less the same. Yeah. But after a while, and I don't want to point to any specific point where this becomes more prominent but it definitely at the point where we are in the franchise now it has taken over that the holy grail war is no longer really relevant at at all except for strange fake except for strange fake strange fake bring really it back good. and that's that's why we love strange fake yeah uh in addition to it being really good in every other way yes but when I was playing Extella last year, um, <laughs> uh-huh. I, uh, in addition to all of my other complaints about why Extella is very bad, I remember at one point just like reading through some conversation where like Tamamo is commanding the other servants in her forces to like, I don't know, fortify her digital castle against like <laughs> Nero's invading like AI army. I was like, what is this? Like this does not resemble the fate series in any way, except for the presence of servants. Right. And like the vague semblance, the vague sense of like, Oh, these are all historical figures who are recontextualized as anime characters. Right. That's literally the only similarity it still bears uh-huh. to the original fate stay night. And it struck me a little while after that um, that you can make the exact same argument about Grand Order, but I think Grand Order's story is super sick, uh-huh. and Extella's is very bad, um, which I think just comes down to the quality of the writing. But that's that realization is what first put me onto the train of thought that I'm articulating now for this episode, uh-huh. which is that the structure of the Fate series has kind of degraded to the point where all you need is servants and like a cursory mention of the holy grail and you've got yourself a fate thing right and like also by the way extella doesn't even have a cursory mention of the holy grail like it has the holy grail well, there's just no grail it's just moon battle no because it takes place after the uh after the moon war so the grail has already been accessed this is now this the conflict of Extella before Altera shows up uh-huh. um, is a war between Nero and Tamamo over who gets to be queen of the moon. Oh, that's right. What that means, I I don't know. <laughs> like, there's you don't see anybody else on the moon aside from like ten servants and Hakuno. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh-huh. they they both want like the 
magic rings that give them the authority to be queen of the moon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's absolutely no reason to care about it. That's very odd. Because it doesn't mean anything. But... But it definitely does seem like, I don't know, it, it seemed like sort of part of... I guess I'm I'm overall happy for the, the trend in, like, going away from the Holy Grail more, just because it did seem like for a while that it was like, oh, you have, like, Type Moon's other works, which have, like, a plot, and then you have Fate, which is the Holy Grail War. Um, do you know what I mean by that? Like, you know, it's like Tsukihime yeah. was a thing, like, Karno Kyokai was a thing, and, like... I mean, like, Fate does have a plot. I mean, like, I'm, you know, obviously, I love the Fate series. I, Where else I wouldn't be on this fucking podcast, <laughs> or I wouldn't have a fucking tattoo on my arm, uh, you know. Right. But, like, fucking, I don't know. It definitely, like, felt to me, like, that was sort of, like, the distinguishing characteristic that, like, you needed the Holy Grail War to be a Fate thing, and, like, now you don't. Um, and I think that's ultimately good, because, I don't know, just using the narratives of, like, these historical figures, I think, can be very useful. Um, it's, like, how tons of people who just, like, write books, like, reference, like, I like fucking, like, Greek myths and stuff like that. Um, right. Or, like, like I've been reading a lot of... This This is very, like, not fate, but I've been reading, reading a lot of Anne Carson lately. Um, Anne Carson, who's written a bunch of, like, very weird sort of, like, pseudo-poetry uh, like artier kind of books, um, like deconstructing the concept of a book. <laughs> yeah, I have Knox. So that her like her poetry short story collection is like literally a bunch of small booklets inside of a book shaped container. Right, right. She she also wrote Autobiography of Red. That's like her, I think maybe her probably her most famous thing, which is like a novel in verse. Um, but even that, it's just like the sort of framework of a lot of her things. Um, is like some kind of like classic greek myth or like roman something um it's usually greek because apparently she teaches greek but it's kind of like what's the point of her using these as like framework um it's because they're familiar and like we as readers can take like inherent cultural significance and recognizability right exactly um it's like recontextualizing like like the autobiography of red is about like this like beast that hercules slays as part of his like 12 labors and then that's recontextualized in autobiography of red to be like the beast is just like an elementary school kid who like sort of vaguely has some descriptors representing the original monster and hercules is like this edgy drifter um who like rolls into town like one evening and like a i think on like a bus or something like that and then the two of them like have this like gay thing together um and i i haven't gotten any further than that but it it's like it's like that doesn't really i can't draw from my brain like why it's important that that had to be like related to the original hercules myth at all um but it definitely like provides a framework for that story um and like i think fate kind of could be something like that that's like we have these characters operating in a space for like a narrative function. Um, Just out of curiosity, do you know which monster from the labors? His name is Garion. Uh, oh, Garion. Yes. Yeah, I, I didn't, I yeah. had not heard of that name until I read this book. Um, okay. But yeah, so they like describe Garion, who's the main character, as like a kid who is red, <laughs> um, because like Garion is like a red beast with wings, and then they also describe like Garion, who is just a school kid who is also red and has wings. 
Um, mm-hmm. But he's definitely like sort of described as a person, not as like a monster. Um, okay. I don't know. It's very, it's very neat. It's well, also it's a pretty good book. If if people, if any of you read things, you should check it out. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I guess that example comes to mind because it's like you could easily just do the same thing with like servants because like sort of the fate universe is just like a more anime way of structuring that kind of narrative. Like that's a very like arty retelling of like this story um, that so much so that it like bears very little resemblance to the original. I, I'm sure that once I get further into it, it'll make more sense as to like why these characters are which way, but it's kind of like, I think, I think people are realizing and like maybe Nasu is too, that like you don't, need the holy grail war structure to like make it cool um i don't know like we were just talking about uh fate requiem before um we started this episode uh yes and can you read to me what fate requiem is about because it's very new and people might not have heard of it um can, can you read that little blurb I, that you read before uh, oh yeah let me find that again real quick um uh, the part about the new humans yes the part about the new humans okay uh, before I get that, just for some context about what this is, um, Fate Requiem is a new Fate series uh, by Hoshizora Medio. Uh, yeah, is the name I believe. Um, I think it's right. Who I'm told is like very notable and famous, even though when you Google him, the only thing that comes up is like results for other small things he's done on other type moon works. But when I said that he was just, like, some guy who's worked on other type moon things, then someone got very mad at me. So apparently, Medio is significant. Anyway. I'm going to Google his um, name in Japanese while you do this so I can... Okay. Uh, yes, anyway, the, the idea is that at some point in the past, there was um, a, a war that... I, I'm not sure if it explicitly says that it was a Holy Grail war. Um, or if it just refers to it as, like, a great war, but it, it certainly seems like it was one. Um, and in the aftermath of that war, it created this new society in a place called Mosaic City, where, uh, everybody in the city has a servant. Um, so, where, where was that little, little passage? I can't find it now. Um, well, oh, here it is. So, <laughs> this is this is some great, just a little snippet of lore from the new, the first volume of uh, Fate Requiem. Quote: The citizens of Mosaic City are all quotation marks new type of humans. The difference between the new types and the old types are that new types of humans own a small holy grail, which is located within their heart. This allows them to summon servants, and according to the description by Eris, who's one of the characters, the holy grail holds the fate of the people itself. The servant's origin in this description is not any different from other Nasuverse works, but instead it can be downloaded from the throne into their world and given a form. Citizens who are born... Citizens who are born post Great War possess the small grail by Citizens default. Citizens who are born post Great War. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just sounded like that's what you were going to say, and I had to laugh. Okay, thanks, man. I'm I'm here for you. <laughs> but I think this is, this concept is um, a great example of what 
the Fate series has kind of become now, which is where the Holy Grail War is no longer what the installments of the series are about. It's more like a framing device that happened in the past and creates conditions where stories can take place. Right. And from the beginning, the Holy Grail War was kind of already a framing device. Like, Stay Night isn't really about, like, the the Stay Night visual novel is not really about the Holy Grail War. It's a lot more about, like, Shiro's trauma (laughs) uh, and, like, his ideals. And, like, it's very much about, like, Shiro as a character. Right, of course, of course. But... The, also, the here's, there, uh, here's Media Hoshizora's uh, Japanese wiki page, just just so you know. It's it's very small, oh. um, so I don't think he's like a huge honking deal. Okay, but Tess was mad at me regardless. I remember Tess was mad at you regardless, it's fine. It is but uh, <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, but like then, obviously, like, Fate's Day Night is about, like, Shiro's trauma and his ideal of becoming a hero in the various ways and different timelines that he like uh, comes to terms with the fact that that's an unrealistic ideal but it all takes place within the Holy Grail War yes Um, that's true whereas now almost all fate works in the past couple of years have had have had a Holy Grail War in the past, but what's happening in the story now is not actually a Holy Grail War. Uh-huh. So, is what I was just saying about Fate Requiem. In Grand Order, you have, like, the Holy Grail War with Maris Billy, Animosphere, and Solomon is what creates the, uh, the state in which the Grand Order story is able to take place, because Solomon... Um, like gains true incarnation, which allows Gedea to do things, and Roman happens, and all of that. Right. Uh, I believe this is also the case in Prismalia, where you have like the Ainsworths Holy Grail Wars create the happened in the past and create a situation in which like the magical girl shenanigans can go. I think that's right. I didn't read far enough or, into probably to get the there. Ainsworth Holy Grail Wars happened in an alternate timeline, and then the timelines start bleeding over some, something like There's that. There's a thing where know. like they go like Miu is from another timeline, and they have to go back because like the the Ainsworths like pull her from the Prilia timeline in back into like their timeline, which is like cold and snowy, if I'm remembering right. right. Um, <laughs> like that's the timeline where like Kotomine has the ramen shop. Uh, <laughs> Yes. I think that was, like, right around where I stopped reading. Um, but but anyway, the point is, like, there were the Holy Grail Wars in the past that then are not happening when the main story of Prilia actually goes. Right. Prilia um, is just a magical girl show that has lots of, like, references to the other Fate series. And also, among other things, just has a lot of problems. Right. It's kind of the same in Extella, where you had the Holy Grail War of Fate Extra, and then later, like, in the aftermath of that war, like, Extella and Extella Link happen. Right. Uh, that kind of deal. The only actual Holy Grail War that we're seeing being published in the last couple of years is the Strange Fake one. Yep, yep. And even that one is, like, 
so many things have been done to that that it like like even then we've we've dressed it up kind of like what happened in apocrypha um where it's like right. oh this isn't just your stay night grill war it's like two of them in the same time um yes and honestly i wouldn't be surprised if by the end of strange fake the grail war is no longer like the central framing device yeah i would agree because stuff that's been happening with like the stuff that happened at the end of the most recent volume with True Assassin yes. is expanding the narrative of the story way past the confines of the Grail War itself. <laughs> right. I remember you and I having that conversation where you were like, what happened? Like, can the servants just, like, leave? <laughs> like, can they can oh, they oh. just, like, not be where the Grail War is? Yeah. And I think but I was the, like, before yeah. Before we started reading Strange Fake, I had that idea of, like, could someone summon a servant and then just like take their servant and like get on a plane and fuck off <laughs> right and just like leave you just be like right. wow i'm madly in love with the uh, historic figure king arthur and we're just gonna go bone in my apartment in paris for you know however long the grail war happens right and that's not exact that's not what happens in strange faith but what if the servants does just like leave the city right just fucking and do like some very important things completely unconnected to the grail war (laughs) nowhere near where the grail war is at yeah faldius is like that that reaction image of like the guy sweating through his shirt with like the towel (laughs) like that's just faldius (laughs) oh also faldius as the the dog and the this is fine this is fine yeah 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 (laughs) this is fine yeah let's do charlie chaplin this is this is fine (laughs) this is fine whatever yeah, but, like, so many layers have been added to Strange Fake already. There's, like, so much mystery in Strange Fake, um, which I think is pretty cool. That's kind of, like... Yeah. Like, like the fake servants and the true servants are a thing, but we don't really even know, like, why the fake servants are totally a thing. Um, like, I mean, they've explained it, but we don't know how that's going to play out, like, in practice. Right. Um, and then there's the stuff with Watcher, and... There's... Like uh, Basdala Cordelian's been... like Grail Bud <laughs> like arm hook hand, yeah, coat, and they've like teased Manaka maybe existing in this timeline, which is scary to think about. When did that happen? When, uh, when am I remember? Do you do you remember? Um, all right, some vague, strange, fake spoilers here. <laughs> As we both uh, kind of spoil, but also yes. forget what things happened. Do you remember? Um, when Waver is talking to Flat about Ayaka, because, like, Flat sees her in the city and is like, hey, I recognize this girl. Like, what, didn't she used to be a servant of yours? Or, not a servant, a, a student, a student, a student. of yours. Um, uh-huh. And they they don't get into Minaka at all, but in the process of Waver, like, trying to figure out what Ayaka is doing there, and... Uh, like calling the Einsburn castle to talk to like the Einsburn sisters and like what what's your deal? What do you want with Ayaka? He mentions the fact that Ayaka has an older sister. Oh, I forgot about that. Right, but it is it's, he, it's, he might have said like something like vaguely concerning about the older sister, like that suggested she was like a scary person. Okay, uh, I don't recall exactly. That might just be me knowing <laughs> like from what's in prototype that like Manaka is a very scary person right right but yeah yes. all i remember about that part mostly is that he like calls ayaka and there's that very like cool cut where it's like cut to ayaka getting like a phone call but it's like from one of the einsburn sisters 
And then, like, cut back to Waver, like, getting off the phone and being like, that was the real Ayaka. But she said stuff that had nothing to do with what the Ayaka we've been following is doing. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right. That, that's the only thing that I remember from that, which also that was a very cool scene. But Right. And then you've got the fucking character creation scene. Uh, <laughs> What's uh, even happening there? Uh, character creation. Well, the manga yeah. makes that more explicit, and it's like because yeah, they name the people who are talking. Right. About it's it. like is it's Wizard Marshall, Kisher, Zelda, Schweinork, and um, that fucking that, labyrinth guy, that dead apostle guy, who was mentioned once in character materials for Tsukihime and never again, and now like twenty years later is apparently like pulling the strings. On his Grail War and Strange Fate. And also the is fuck? the guy who made the Labyrinth in Fate Labyrinth, right? Yes, that's true. I forgot. So he was mentioned another time after that. Yeah, but that but... was like a, within the past couple years. Right. Okay, but anyway, to pull us back from uh, just nutting about Strange Fake. Which <laughs> yeah, because we can do that all day. We can do all day. <laughs> yeah. um, to pull us back from that... One thing I wanted to mention from what you were talking about earlier about the historical figures being useful to like provide like inherent cultural context is that what I have long felt is the strongest possible thing the Fate series is capable of doing oh. is using various legends to create like uh, an intertextuality of similar themes from very disparate stories and using those to like inform each other both within the legends that exist from the past and also the human characters who are entirely invented like as masters so you see that in two forms you've got like for example in strange fake a lot of <laughs> to go back to strange fake again because it is the best continue, for continue everything <laughs> yes well, many, not all, but I would say like almost all of the servants in Strange Fake have this connecting thematic thread of like the relationship between like humans and gods. So you see the um, the way that each character like thinks about their relationship with gods mm -hmm. uh, being like compared and contrasted to each other, not even directly just just because these are things that are reported to them, so they're talking about them, and you can pick up on, like, the themes that are being laid down. Um, uh -huh. And then you also have the uh, ability to use um, legends from the past to provide context and, like, either guidance or foils to... Uh, foils to is probably the best way to say it. Uh -huh the master characters like with Iskandar and Waver where you start out with Waver who has like a very um kind of like relatable like underdog story where he wants to like be respected by people but he's like kind of a wimp he's not all that impressive in any way really um and he has kind of a low opinion of himself despite wanting people to have a high opinion of him so you can play him off of Alexander the Great one of like the most legendary, ambitious conquerors in the history of mankind. So that Alexander could say, like, dude, if you want to be respected, then you need to do stuff that is respectful. Right. You need to get out there, like, follow my example, 
and make something of yourself. And then once you are an impressive person, people will be impressed by you. Right, right. I was going to say, I think the, the, the Iskander waiver duo is definitely like the best example of that. I was also thinking of right. um, the Banquet of Kings scene from Fate Zero. Where it's oh, like that's another great like intertextuality thing, like I was talking about. Right, and they're like, this is the reason that like like if you look at, yeah, that that's what I was uh, harkening back to, like, um, but it's like right, you have like two sort of like tyrant conqueror type characters, um, and then you have like King Arthur, who is very much like a different kind of king, or at least like I feel like the portrayals of King Arthur are very different than like. Gilgamesh and uh, like Alexander the Great. Um, yeah, the portrayal of uh, Artoria and how like she feels about her reign is very much drawn from uh, the Once and Future King uh-huh. as its source material. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With like the uh, kind of like projecting modern, um, like almost democratic views about how like government's responsibility is to like take care of its people like back onto arthur right and then like the doubt at the end of their life whether they actually succeeded at making life better for their people right um yeah so you can see those contrasting um those contrasting legends playing off of each other like in real time right and it's definitely like you want to sort of think that like King Arthur is sort of a more just character than, like, Gilgamesh, for instance, because Gilgamesh is, like, a total asshole. Um, right. But it's, like, both Gil and Iskander make, like, very valid points, and it definitely seems like by the end of that, like, Arturia is, like, the loser of the debate. Like, her point mm-hmm. seems to have, like, the weakest ground to stand on. Right. Um, especially because, like, it ends with Iskander being, like, hey... Here, check out my cool army noble phantasm. Where's your cool <laughs> army noble phantasm? Oh, that's right. You don't have one because everyone hates you. <laughs> right. Like, let's acknowledge for a second that that scene mostly does exist to, like, wake off Eskandar as being, like, not only the coolest, but also the best. Uh, yeah, um, it, it's true. It's true. But that is, but I feel but, like that, but that it is... is still, like, a valid thing that they do is, um, like, Eskandar wins the debate mostly because... Like, he's way more confident in his point than Saber is because yeah. she already, like, was convinced that she failed. Yes, exactly. Um, but, but yes, that, that kind of interplay between their ideologies is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. So that sort of thing can still be done, obviously, in, um, like, the Grand Orders or Extellas kind of set up where like basically every character in the series is a servant um, <laughs> right but i think that that so that sort of setup loses a lot by um disregarding the need for the secondary type of interaction that the heroic spirit concept can provide for i when the only non-servant character in the entire thing you're portraying is, like, a flavorless self-insert with no personality... <laughs> right. Then, ...then you can't do anything to relate heroic spirits back to people. Like the, right. The structure for that just doesn't exist, and thus a lot of the 
possible strength of character writing is just thrown out the window for the sake of like creating more flashy waifus yeah i guess that's true um because it definitely is like there are a lot of strong i maybe that's that's also part of why like all the cryptor scenes are so good yes um, that's what i was going to get to next. i was gonna say that's definitely why all the cryptor scenes are so good is because they have no gouda presence in them it's just all the cryptors talking about their motivations um like not directly i right. guess but like <laughs> and it, it feels like such it, it feels really damning to say it even though i will echo again that i really like like observer on timeless temple i think the first act of grand order is excellent i think the story's amazing uh-huh yeah i like it but a lot too it's it feels weird that it's a breath of fresh air to like actually have characters with motivations in the franchise again <laughs> right <laughs> other than like everyone having the same motivation of saving the world um right <laughs> yeah which is just i don't know it's cool and it's fun but it definitely is like i feel like the strength of each singularity is its own sort of like self-contained story yeah. Um, like those are the but, more compelling parts of each thing, not really like how it relates back to like you, like parentheses you as a character, uh, right. and more just like the servants and how they feel about their, their stuff happening in those singularities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in reading the translations that are available online for the Russia chapter, the conversations between... Anastasia and Kadok are so reminiscent of those kinds of conversations like between Waver and Iskandar where like Kadok is kind of like a screwed up person with like a really deep-seated inferiority complex and uh-huh. he sees like the chance of like having the servant and being like in his lost belt as a chance to make something of himself um, right. Uh, I suppose it would be possible to do a similar sort of narrative in like part one singularities where you only have servants to play off of each other, but it just doesn't work as well because servants inherently don't have human concerns. Right, right. And when none of your characters have human concerns, it's hard as a human to relate to them that- and to find anything like especially compelling about what what's happening to them and what they care about yeah it's a very good point that's definitely something i hadn't really thought of before but it's it's true like a lot of servants have a goal or like some kind of something they want um but also like plenty of them don't um like i can't right i can't think of how many times i've watched those like you know those like half an hour long youtube videos that are like such and such servants like lines like all the like ascension lines and the um like the my room lines and stuff like that um have you seen those videos on youtube before yeah i i don't think i've ever like actually watched any of them oh really okay i've watched a bunch of them but except unless i was just like researching like voice actors and just wanted to get like a feel from what each servant sounded like but i, I don't think i ever just like watched any of them all the way through i have watched a bunch of them all the way through and i can't count the amount of times that i've like watched them and then it's like the holy grail war my wish mm, i'm not really concerned with something like that <laughs> like like so many of them have lines like that um 
And it definitely is sort of like, hang on, don't you, aren't you all like called here because you want the grail? Isn't that what? Like the whole point? Yeah. Right. I'm like, isn't that the whole point of the system? Like, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sure. That's fine. And I guess maybe they feel like they have to do that because the grail, the holy grail in like the modern era of, uh, fate franchise has been reduced even more than the holy grail war has into just like a a thing like you slap say hi on a plot device uh-huh. and call it a day even though it doesn't have anything to do with like the the holy grail as we know it like right each uh like each singularity has a holy grail in it but those are like holy grails created by Gedea for the purpose of making the singularities happen. Right. And it's not really clear like what even they're supposed to be, except for the fact that like for it to be a fate thing, you need to collect a holy grail at the end. <laughs> right, right. And like even in the Lost Belt, we're still getting grails. Yeah, it's just that like the alien trees each have like inside of them like a structure that resembles a holy grail. Right. Like that doesn't really the fact that it resembles a holy grail doesn't really mean anything they just need to slap holy grail on something for it to be fate oh right right it's funny because like that definitely seems true in practice but like i definitely don't feel that attached to the holy grail as like a viewer (laughs) um as like a thing that's a part of fate i feel like i'm more just interested in like sort of the type moon uh like flavor of things (laughs) Um, I agree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the the fate setting and the servants and the 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 Holy Grail stuff. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, especially if you kind of like explain it out of context, maybe to someone who hasn't heard of it, being like, oh yeah, that's that's kind of a cool concept. Um, but I definitely feel like when I get into a tight moon thing, I'm very much more about like the flavor of the thing and and just how just the like specificity of all of the like weirdness and all of the power systems and just like the stuff that can happen. And it just all has a very cool like feel to me. It's something that I guess I've always had a harder time like articulating. Um, But I know what you mean. And I think anyone who's like really invested in the franchise will have the, the same tacit understanding of what you mean by that right it's just sort of a like palpable weirdness and like just sort of making everything like way too convoluted for no reason um (laughs) but eventually like sort of the over convolution kind of plays itself out in a way that's actually enjoyable uh and not like awful um i don't know and just just sort of like I don't really know where I'm trying to go with this. Just, like, the weird power systems and everything. Just Everything just, like, works really well together in the end. Kind of, like, for no reason. Um, but, but it just does. Yeah. Well, I think I've exhausted, like, all of the thoughts that I... I that I wanted an excuse to spew about my feelings on the franchise as it stands now. I was going to say, this um, is definitely the, the Ben gets to rant his, his feelings away episode. Right. I am very, very happy that Strange Fake is happening to give us a more traditional Holy Grail War structure. Yeah. Because I think the Battle Royale does inherently contain um, a lot of drama to it. And the fact that 
like part of what makes fate fate is breaking all of the rules in ridiculous ways yes means that you can continue doing holy grail wars and mixing them up without it really becoming stale yes um so i hope like obviously strange fake at this rate is going to be going for like another 10 years <laughs> but uh, i hope that yeah. we do see more holy grail war structure from the franchise in the future in addition to stuff like grand order which is just like huge in scope and expands the entire universe i do love just like those small over the course of like a week or two battle royale just like intense character conflict and developments that you get from the holy grail war structure yeah it is fun and i don't want that to disappear from the franchise yeah, I think that's very well said. I feel similarly. I think that, like, variation is good, but having that once in a while again, or at least something that, like, promotes that similar kind of, like, drama and development in a short span of time is, is like, a good thing for the series. And especially, like, that's kind of where it started, <laughs> you know? So it makes sense that, like, that sort of thing continues alongside new developments, which take the, the framework and kind of spin it in new ways. Uh, since we're running up on an hour, do you want to, like, just quickly do a random page? Sure. Cool. I'm already there. Random page. Let's go. Oh. It's the Chariot of Boudicca. The Chariot of Boudicca. Okay. Um. Her, so, her noble phantasm? Yeah. All right. Uh, That's one of those ones where I've only ever known it for its gameplay effects and have no idea what it actually does. Like, so, in lore. So, you want to I will. I will read it. In? I don't think there's much for us to talk about here, so maybe we should re-roll. Um, but it does say, Chariot of Boudicca, Chariot Without Promised Protection, is the noble phantasm of Boudicca. The original chariot was headed by two famous horses. It represents Britannia, and as Britannia is a symbol of patronage, it boasts high durability. Activation of this noble phantasm summons forth the chariot to protect Boudicca and her allies. Being blessed with protection by the Celtic gods, this chariot has flight capability, but it is not powerful when rammed at enemies. Its proper use should be as a shield to protect companions, which is why it's a buff. Ah, uh, okay. So I don't think there's a lot to talk about about the charity itself, but I think we can make it a quick one and just talk about Boudicca as a character. Yeah, that, that seems good. Uh, I actually, I didn't read any of the translations of, um, oh God, what's the fucking chapter that she's in? Um... Septum? Septum, yeah. I, I like, never yes. read any of the translations of Septum, because... You're not missing out. Yeah. Um, I do think that her her existence as a thing, especially because she was directly, like, wronged by, uh, like, Nero. Um, mm -hmm. like, her, her narrative is, like, very tied in with Nero's. Um, I think having her in Fate is very cool. I just wish that yes. she, like had a better outfit was a better character <laughs> yeah yeah first off that like one of the worst character designs in the entire franchise yeah i just like she just i guess like her final ascension by her final ascension she looks pretty cool yeah yeah i mean she definitely has but, she has a gratuitous titty window but but you know she's she's got the hallmarks of the series she's, she's got, got like the cape and the crown yeah she's got the crown she's got the cape she's got the little skirt and the high like high boots um She's got a shield, which, like, so very few yeah. people have in <laughs> That's fate. true. Um, At least one that they, like, actually hold <laughs> and not just, like, materialize to use as a noble phantasm. Uh, yes, yes. This is a call-out post to uh, Nameless, <laughs> a.k.a. Emia. <laughs> we see you. Um, 
And I, the only thing I do know about her lore-wise is that her and Nero have a moment in the Time Temple um, where they, like, talk about stuff. Because they, like, fight. Because they, they come from the same singularity in the, like, power of friendship moment. Um, right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's, like, all the, yes. the servants from all the singularities come back. And they have a little interaction where it's, like, Boudica is basically, like, hey, Nero, I still don't like you. And Nero's, like, wow, you know, me neither. And then Boudicca's like, but, you know, because I'm not really me, and you're not really you, because we're servants, like, we're here to do something, like, I can forgive you here right now, even if I can't forgive you, like, forever. Right. Um, I think that is a good expression of Boudicca's character. Yeah. Much better than what actually happens in Septem, which is that Boudicca initially comes out as like i hate nero for destroying my home which is reasonable and then, yes and then meets nero and is like actually nero is like the coolest person who's ever lived oh really yes well, that's a bummer that's why people hate septum is because like Boudica is the worst example of it because she has like very personal reason to hate nero but everybody in septum like <laughs> even your enemies like they meet nero and they're just to a man, oh, Nero is just like the most beautiful, most impressive emperor who ever lived, and we will all follow her to our deaths. Bummer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know that... Okay, so for some reason... I, I don't want to say for some reason. This sounds mean. <laughs> but <laughs> there are... There exists a community of Boudicca fans... I'm not entirely certain why. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm from when I was on like FGOG. I, I definitely remember yes. there being like, especially when like Boudicca got um, like the formal craft essence, right? Um, and everyone was like, "Damn her titties," <laughs> <laughs> um, because they like that they, they definitely look a lot larger in the formal outfit than they do in her like standard, uh, right? Her standard thing, or even like her fucking uh, her swimsuit craft essence from the 2016, um event oh yeah that is a good craft essence that is a good craft essence that, 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 that art's like pretty good i'm like yeah she's just out here wearing a bikini hanging out that's fine but like there there are people who are pretty big fans of Boudica, which like like we were just talking about she has good reason to exist as a character and like good uh character threads yes but the fact that those good character threads are never picked up or followed through on Makes it surprising that, like, anybody out there cares about them. Right, right. <laughs> and definitely but, just, um, it, it seems like she could be a character who could get, like, picked up in a Lost Belt and then done some good for. Um, right. Or a character who Because could... they have done that with a bunch of characters in Lost Belts. Taken, like, some of the very early FGO servants and actually given them, like, the writing that they deserve. Right. Or at the very least, um, I, I actually have not, I still have not read, like, full translations for um, Lost Belt 1, but definitely, like, Billy, my boy, um, fucking mm-hmm. gets all the, like, crowning moments of awesome. Uh, not all of them, yeah, but he, he definitely gets, gets so a lot. so much spotlight. I mean, yeah. Billy's skill uh, count is ridiculously high. Not necessary here. <laughs> yeah. Yo, Thunderer uh, is broken. Have you ever looked at the Thunderer page? I know I have, but I don't remember it now. It's basically like let's do a quick non sequitur so that you can show your boy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I have. I have a grailed Billy. He's he's level ninety. He's maxed out, and he's also at bond ten. Um. Oh, speaking of that, while I look this up, um, 
Well, one thing I was thinking is that we should put our friend codes on the Twitter. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Or somewhere. Just just so that people can add us if they want to. Sure. Um, we only play in JP. So I'm sorry, North American listeners. Um, so people can use my perfect Finn McCool now that he's a good servant. Perfect ultimate Finn McCool. You're right. <laughs> yeah, the, the next step is to get him to 100. Uh, also, while we're on the subject, I'm just going to mention this here. During like the banner for um, <laughs> <laughs> for New Year's, I know where this is going. Yeah, I try. I didn't row on it very much, but I threw like a couple of tickets for Tamama when she was on rate up, and I got my sixth Finn McCool. <laughs> <laughs> so compared to that, the highest NP of any other gold servant I have is three. And oh, really? I yeah, and I have like never intentionally rolled for Finn and gotten him. Mm. So he has just come to me twice as often as any other servant in the game. Incredible. He loves it. It's unreal. Yeah, I've gotten so I many cast. I didn't burn my sixth one, but I haven't decided yet what I'm gonna do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I was saying you should just keep it in your fucking uh your box and then figure something out. <laughs> if I get four more, then just make another one. Just make another one. You gotta get him to bond ten. <laughs> I'm working on it. Okay. Uh, I found the Billy the Kid page, by the way, which is... Okay. So it's the most unique characteristic that is a large part of this noble phantasm is incorporated into the greater section called, quote, Billy the Kid's techniques, greatly reducing the mana cost to the point it is equivalent to an E-rank noble phantasm, which it's actually a C++ or C++ if you do the interlude. Um, Mm -hmm. As for one who has the perceptions of a servant... Time slows down for Billy's senses and his surroundings, and he completely grasps the situation before countering his opponent's attack before it has reached him. Whether it is an archer sniping or a saber slash heading towards him, he fully grasps his opponent's location and their attacks before making a maximum of three consecutive shots at their vital points. Uh, As a servant, the range of this technique is several times greater than life. However, this is a counter that is understood only as a means to an avoidable attack. Attacks that he can actually dodge, in other words, and would not work against attacks that cannot be avoided. Um, That's pretty cool. It's very weird because it's both very good and very bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because it's like if he dies, he's dead. But if he's not dead, then he can just continually... Because it's an E-ranked Noble Phantasm, effectively, which means that he can just... He could probably spam it. Um, right. Because the mana cost is very low. Right. So he could probably spam it and just get, like, a bunch of pot shots at your, like, vitals. Um, <laughs> which is just, like, nuts. Billy's broken. Uh, also, just one more quick note on the Thunder Egg. Uh-huh. You know how um, in his uh, art... Like, the first two ascensions, it's just, like, a little revolver, and then in Ascension 3, it gets, like, super big. It gets super big, yeah. In the Anastasia Lost Belt, uh, there becomes a canon reason for why the appearance of his gun changes so much, and that's really? that going into, like, the final fight, Da Vinci upgrades his gun for him. And that, Whoa. And when she does that, like, the uh, story support Billy switches from Ascension 2 to Ascension 3. Whoa! Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's so cool. Oh, wow. I got to fucking read those translations now. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, I did have a little bit more I wanted to say about uh Oh, Boudica. About Boudica. Yes, let's go back. Yeah. So one thing that I have seen her uh, inexplicable but valid fans they are saying valid. is that, um, and I believe it has since been confirmed that this is possible, 
that she would make an excellent Berserker or Avenger-class servant. Yes, that's true. I think Avenger Boudica would be a very, very cool addition to this game. I agree. Um, and there is already Avenger Boudica that exists uh, in the game. Um, uh, well, Fighter has, like, an Avenger-class boss during... The summer, the wacky race. The summer event. Yeah, but yeah, she, 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 like, like she like, chases after Nero and, like, tries to fuck her up. Right. I haven't read any translations of that event, so I don't know, like... But I, I heard... I remember there being people who were very excited to see, like... Avenger Boudica acknowledged in the game. Yes. Um, but then other people who could actually read it being like, don't get too excited. Like, she's basically in here as a comic relief character for Nero to just, like, style on again. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. It is definitely tragic. I, I hope that she gets some better time to shine. Or, like, another version. I don't know. I think she would be a cool candidate for, like... um a major event servant. Oh, she probably isn't liked enough to, to warrant that, but like, um, you know, like kind of how we got like, like, uh, Santa cats, for instance. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like Finn McCool was just a major event servant and fucking nobody likes him. So, you know, that's true. Yeah. Yo. And Matei, I definitely need to read the story for that. It sounds wild. I have heard it is very good. I also need to read the story for it. I'm excited, but also confused. The fact that that event existed is very odd. Just like yeah, I very early into the event, I saw someone say that uh, the story was reminiscent of quote one of the better arcs of Baki Monogatari. I remember, I remember, and that definitely and got since you. Since the jazzed. Monogatari thing is my shit, like even more than Fate is, uh-huh. that made me very, very excited. So I will soon uh, get around to reading translations of that one. Yeah, it'll be good. So, uh, as usual, um, give us a follow on Twitter, social media, at The Magic Circuit. Um, also, give us a listen on SoundCloud if you're looking for that sweet, uncompressed, high-fidelity audio. Or listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music. Uh, and leave us a review or something. Or comment uh, on SoundCloud. and uh, Or add us on Twitter or something. Um People should interact with us. It's fun. We promise. We don't <laughs> suck. Even though we run this this nerd podcast. Yes, we are cooler than our occupation would suggest. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> wow, brutal. <laughs> but also true. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Um, stay tuned for more. We're recording this one pretty early. It's actually like... Well, not, not, I guess we're recording like a week early because um, I'm going on a road trip. Um, so it'll be quite a while before I guess we know what the next episode is. Yeah. But um But I'll I'll edit this one and release it on the actual anniversary. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> uh but yeah, stay tuned for more and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.